You guys, it is so good to be with you. I miss seeing your beautiful faces, your beautiful eyes. Um, and everybody who's joining us online, I really miss your faces because it hasn't, it's been a long time since we've been together. So um, thank you for being here. Thanks for wearing your masks. Thanks for making the journey in. Uh, it's just, it warms my heart to be together and in this community with you. So um, guys, we're, we're kicking off Bible study, first, second, and third John. Who's ready? Good. I'm ready too. Um, I have a few just brief announcements for us. Uh, we cover this all the time, but just so you know, uh, the first one is uh, every week we take an offering and that just helps us pay for childcare. It pays for the books. It pays for all the technology stuff that we do. So thank you so much for your generosity. There'll be an envelope on your table each week. And if you choose to give to that, thank you so much. Um, if you are online and you want to donate uh, to women's Bible study, uh, you can mail in a check and just put WBS in the memo. And thank you. That goes to everything we do so we can do Bible study for free. So thank you for that. Um, exciting announcements coming up. Women's Conference. Ladies, since I've been on staff, which hasn't been super long, it's going on four years, but we've never done a women's conference. We are doing a women's conference this year. We're going to do it in-house. It's going to be on our campus. It's a Friday night and a Saturday, um, and Kathy Christopher is going to be our guest speaker, and it's going to be amazing. Uh, we have teams that have been praying, teams that have been forming, um, doing decor. We're going to do baskets in person, so all the things. We're going to try to include all of our favorite elements of retreat into a two-day women's conference that we hope and pray is affordable, accessible, and that God meets you. The theme is going to be restored. What does it mean to be restored? And I think there's no better topic we could talk about coming out of the last two years we've had. So register for that. Uh, the registration's open. You can do, you can join us in person or online. Both are going to be awesome, but we would love to have you. So register for that. Uh, and then the last announcement I want to share today, uh, just a reminder for you, uh, some of you go to CA, some of you don't, but we are doing something called a partnership class. It's a four-week class uh, that will meet at 11.15 on Sunday in this building. We provide breakfast, uh, but it's four weeks to just to get to know the heart of CA, who we are, the staff, what we believe, why we believe what we believe. And so if you've been a member for 10 years and have never done it, I encourage you to go. Uh, if you're brand new and you're like, hey, what's CA about? Uh, it's a great intro. I, had, I took the class when I I first joined staff and I was amazed it's just well done how they tell the whole history of a 114 year church and how we got from where we are today uh, to here right now and so anyway so I want to invite you to that that starts next week it's free you can register online uh, but Jill myself other CLPs community life pastors will be running the class so if that's something you're interested in feel free to join us four weeks it's gonna be awesome um, now we come to the part of the talk that I call love story time <laughs> So some of us haven't been together for a while, and so I wanted to give you an update on my life because I felt like we're girlfriends, you know, like if we were having coffee, I would tell you this, but some of you haven't had coffee for a little while. So uh, I wanted to let you know that in May 2021, uh, two pastors on staff set me up with a wonderful man of God. His name is Stefan. Do we have a photo? Now, I'm going to be a little biased, but I think he is the most handsome man in the entire world. Um, thank you. You can uh, thank you for the applause. Um, but anyways, uh, why did I want to tell you this? I wanted to tell you this because I was meeting with one of our leaders online. She knows who she is. And at the end of our time, she goes, Cole, I just want you to know that um, I've just always been praying that God would bring a good man into your life. And I realized, like, 
oh, God, God has been faithful and God has brought a godly man in, but I haven't seen people for a long time. It's been eight months since I'd seen her. So I was like, hey, he actually did. And so I'm sharing this with you today because I wanna encourage you that God answers our prayers. He is a God who moves mountains that we can't move. And so when I think about us starting a six-week journey together, I just want to encourage, like, when I look at this man, I see Jesus because I know it was nothing that I did. It's nothing, it was nothing that I chose. It was something that God provided, I believe, through just the faithful prayers of this community in particular. And so I want to encourage you, when you go into your groups, if there are mountains in your life that you can't move, I wanna encourage you to share those with the women at your table. And I wanna encourage you to rally in prayer with women at your tables that God would do something that only he can do, that he would break the legal cases, that he would bind broken relationships, that he would call lost children to himself, that he would provide partners for ministry. Whatever it is, I wanna encourage you as just a testimony of faith that I have seen God move in answered prayers and I want you to be praying for each other and with me for that for one another, amen? Amen, Amen. Amen. praise the Lord. Um, so anyways, I'm excited. I'm excited to do this talk with you. I'm excited to go through this series with you. And so I'm just gonna start us off in prayer and we're just gonna invite God uh, to be God and do what only he can do here. So will you bow your heads with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, God, just singing that song earlier that there is no name above the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. And so this morning, God, this next six week series, God, we give you ourselves, we give you our hearts, our minds, our impossible situations, Lord. We bring them to the cross and we pray that you would move in a way that only you can move. God, you are immeasurably more powerful than we could ask, hope, or imagine, and you love us immeasurably more than we could hope, ask, or ever understand, Lord. So I pray today, Father, that your love would infiltrate our hearts, God, our lives, our minds, every piece of who we are, and I pray that that radical love that you sent your son to the cross to die on the cross to forgive us and give us, I just pray that that love would go forth today and would not return void. God, that women here, no matter what their circumstances, no matter what they're going through, that they would experience the love of Jesus that has no end. So God, we thank you that you're a God of all power and all majesty and all glory, and I pray that your word would not return void and that we'd experience you on a deeper way today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Um, All right, I'm going to kick us off with a little overview because we're kicking off kind of a whole new series. Um, We are studying 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are three separate books of the Bible. Um, There is nowhere in the text, if you've read it, that identifies John as the author, but scholars, people who study this for their whole life, almost unanimously agree that John is the author of these three books. And so John, if you'll remember, uh, wrote the fourth gospel. He was the disciple who called himself God's beloved. John knew his identity as God's loved one. And so when we read this, we're coming from a perspective of somebody who knew, who received the love of Christ and it impacted everything he did. John also wrote the book of Revelation. And in all John's book, he continues to go back to remind us of the truth of God's love. And so when John wrote this, scholars believe he was around 100 years old. So a hundred years of life, three years in close contact with Jesus, and then a life spent living out that love. So he's writing from a wise 
elderly vantage point. He's seen it all, he's been persecuted, he's been through trials, and yet he knows the love of Christ that changes everything. And so that's the position that John comes in here with. We believe it was written between 80 and 90 AD. Um, And John wrote this to a community of people that were struggling with their faith. So Christianity had been on the horizon um, for about 100 years since Jesus passed, and there was this cultural belief of Gnosticism, this idea that knowledge could get you to the next stage, to the eternal life, that if you were smart enough, you could earn your way into heaven. The Greeks believed in separating body and mind, and so the talk around the town was, there's no way that Jesus came down in a body, bodies are dirty, bodies are broken, that's not what holy people do. And so there was all these different philosophies that were going around, and John, who had been with Jesus, walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, was adamant that he write these letters to let people know the truth. It's not Gnosticism, it's not earning your way in. Jesus came in flesh and dwelt among us, and that is who we proclaim as our Lord and God. And so John was defending all the other beliefs that were happening in the area. Now, we can look at that and be like, oh, that's kind of silly. Sometimes I look at the Bible and I'm like, oh, they don't know very much. (laughs) Nobody else, okay, just me. But anyways, um, we compete with so many different philosophies, worldviews, ideas, thoughts of who Jesus could or could not be. It's it's part of our culture as well as this culture. So I think this message is very timely because John goes right back to the basics and that's what we're gonna explore today. Um, but he writes four goals of the letter that I just wanna highlight for you before we even get into the whole text. Uh, he says that our joy would be made known John writes to prevent sin. He writes to protect from false teachers and to provide assurance of salvation. So he writes that our joy would be made known. How many of you need joy in this season? I know I do. I know it's been a dark and long season. He writes that our joy may be made known. He writes to prevent sin. You see, John's been around for 100 years. He knows the cost of sin. He knows that we reap what we sow, and he's seen it front to back, what sin can do in somebody's life. So he writes to prevent sin. He writes to protect from false teachers. He knows that people are trying to dissuade the gospel, trying to water down, trying to change it, and so he goes in and he's like, no, I gotta tell you the truth because the real truth will set you free. And then the last thing is provide assurance of salvation. He wants them to know that when they believe in Jesus that their salvation is secure, that there's nothing that can take it out of God's hand. So those are the purposes that John writes this with. So, so where are we going? Why do we choose this text? For those of you that went through Hosea with us, we talked a lot about how the core of our identity is God's beloved. God made us in love for love, and it doesn't stop there. The reason we chose this book next, or these books, is because it's one thing to know that you're loved in your head and to try to wrestle with that and remember that. It's a very different thing to put that into practice, to live as the beloved. And that's what John's doing. John's bringing us back to the truth and saying, so because your identity is love, so then how shall we live? Um, Have any of you ever been on a sports team? Okay, like three of you, great. Okay, so in sports, They do this thing called practice. 
And so what you do is you go to the court, to the field, whatever kind of sport you're in, and you practice all the skills. You try to hone your craft so that when you play the game, uh, you come in on your best ability. So I want us to consider this Bible study. This is gonna be a practice. None of us love perfectly. In fact, some of us, some of us love better than the others, but it's something that we're all continually learning. But what I want you to do, what I don't want you to do, is come in and read all this and keep it stuck in your head. What I want this six-week series to be is us attempting to put into practice everything that John calls us to. Now, I've been part of Bible study for years. I was raised in Sunday school. I know what it's like to know the right answer, right? I know what it's like to have it in your head, but how many of us know Christians who have something in their head who aren't living it out? I think all of us can probably think of a few people, right? And instead of casting judgment on those people, I want us to turn a look inside of ourselves and really evaluate. If somebody on the outside were to look at our life, would they know, not just what I know in my head, would they see with our lives that we love Jesus? Would they see that in our actions, in our posture, in our responses? I want us to turn inward. It's really easy to see so our neighbor and be like, she is not doing it right. I want us to turn inward and I want us to practice the next six weeks. What does it look like to live in the love of Christ? It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to believe it, but it's a very different thing to put it on for practice, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So that's the true test. And so we're gonna live out that test together. We're gonna practice, we're gonna fail, it is okay. In Novo, the spirituality cohort, they talk all the time about experiments. We're just experimenting, there's no failure. If you do something wrong, we learn from it and we correct. So I want you to come into this session being ready to put into practice the things that we learn. Because it's not enough just to have it in our heads. To know it, if I ask you a question, for you to be able to give me the right theological answer, that's not what we're looking for. I'm looking for you and I to come under the Lordship of Christ and live differently because of that love. That is what the world needs. The world needs people who are living in the truth of Christ. And so that's where we're going with this. Uh, that's what we're studying. Um, if some of you will know Robin Walker, Tommy's wife. I had a conversation with her earlier this week and I just asked her, I was like, Robin, how are you doing? And she's like, I'm okay. And I was like, yeah, tell me more about that. And she just was really honest. And she's like, the Christian life is an easy coley. That's not easy. Sometimes I think we can get this illusion, like a Disneyland thought, that when we believe in Jesus, this love just befalls us and we, come, we become new people and we're nice to everybody and we have this assumption that things should go well, right? This idea that like, well, I've accepted Jesus. Why is not everything playing out easily? And Robin brought up a point that I think is just so good to address before we start this. The love of Christ to live in it, it takes work. It takes choices, it takes effort. It is not, it's not as easy as just saying, I love Jesus, and then we act perfectly and live in perfect harmony with others. We need to work that out in ourselves. We need to die to self. We need to invite the love of Jesus in. It's work, but it's the best work you and I can ever do. It's the greatest invitation he gives us. And so I don't want you to shame yourself or guilt yourself if you're struggling with loving yourself, loving others. I just wanna relate with you on a real level. It's hard. It's hard to receive the love of Christ and it's hard to love others as we love ourselves. 
It's part of the challenge. But we have a God who gives us the Holy Spirit and his death and resurrection to make that possible. So that's where we're gonna go the next six weeks. So I wanna encourage you, um, be honest with yourself, be honest with your group, let others in to things you need prayer for because we're not doing this alone. We can't do it alone and Christ is for you. There is no grade at the end of this. This is just the experience we get of walking out our faith with Jesus. So let's dive into the text today. I think we're gonna just kind of, we'll kind of chunk it out verse by verse because there's some good stuff in here. So um, I'm just gonna read our first starting paragraph. First John 1, 1 through 4, and you can follow along with me. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the first point is, if you're taking notes today, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? John was writing, he knew that to build a strong foundation, he had to start with the core question, who is Jesus? And I will say this will be the most important question that you ever answer in your life. Because Jesus, if if he is not real, if he is not who he says he is, then we've been committing to follow someone who could be considered a lunatic or a heretic. But if Jesus Christ is actually who he says he is, is, if he is truly the son of God, if he came to forgive our sins, if he died and resurrected and invites us into new life, that will change every single area of your and my life. Who is Jesus to you? Again, this is a personal question I want you to wrestle with in this series, but I don't want you to give me the appropriate theological response. I want you to look at your life and decide, if I, if I looked at your life, would I know who Jesus is? Is Jesus something on the side? Is he a box you check off on Sunday? Is he a nice thought? Is he kind of a warm place you go when things are hard? Or have you committed that he is the king of kings, he's the CEO, he's the boss, he's the alpha and the omega, and you will submit under his authority? Who is Jesus Christ in your life? Uh, There was a story that I heard once, it's always stuck with me. It was a story of a construction worker who built homes uh, for a living. And so this man had built hundreds of homes over his career and he was almost done. Him and his wife wanted to retire. He was getting towards the end of his career. His body hurt and ached. And his boss came with him and said, I have one more house that I want you to build. Will you do it for me? And he he was reluctant, but he was like, okay, fine, one, one more house. And so this man, he was itching to get to retirement. Him and his wife had things that they wanted to do. And so he kind of slacked through the process. He didn't put as firm of a foundation. He didn't wait till the cement went over because he wanted to move on with the project. He kind of cut a little corner here and there if it was easier just because he knew the timeline would be faster and he could get to retirement. So when the house was all said and done, the boss and him walked through it and the boss asked him, hey, how do you feel about it? Do you like it? And he was, yeah, yeah, it's a good house. I mean, I built it, it's a good house. And the boss said, I'm so thankful because I've decided as my parting gift to you, I'm blessing this to you as your house. (laughs) Friends, this, this is my invitation to you and I. We live in the houses we build. If our foundation is not strong, if we cut corners in our faith, 
if we half believe, half obey, half respond, make life easier, we live in the houses that we build. And so if your foundation, if my foundation, if we don't know who Jesus is in his entirety, it is built on a wobbly foundation. So my question for you, John comes in strong, he says, I've seen Jesus, I've touched him, I know he's real, I've witnessed miracles, I've walked with him, I've seen the resurrection. John wants to start us out on this foundation of truth, and so my question for you today is who is Jesus to you? If he is not the Alpha, the Omega, the Son of God, and your ultimate authority, that will determine everything about your life. I wanna encourage us in this series, based on what John is teaching us, to build your house on the rock of Jesus, to take him at his word, because it will change everything about your and my life. Who is Jesus to you? Answer that question for yourself with God this week. Uh, continuing on, 1 John 1, 5 through 10, it says, John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. Point number two, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Um, <clears throat> I have this thing, I don't know if anyone else struggles with this, I have this thing where like sometimes at night I get like a little craving like for like a cookie or a churro and my lights are kind of on like <clears throat> opposite sides of the room and so there's like this there's this like persistence in me that's like I can make it in the dark. Does anyone else feel this way? Uh, maybe it's just me but I'm like I don't need to walk all the way over there like I know my house. So the other night in bed got a little hankering for a chocolate chip cookie and I did what I thought was normal I was like I can make it I know my house so sure enough venture out as a soul wanderer in the pitch black dark so I'm feeling my way trying to like sniff out the cookie and I turn the corner and I nail my my right knee on the bench that's in my kitchen and I'm too prideful to turn on the light at this point. I'm like, oh my gosh, that hurts, where's that cookie? And I keep going, I sniff it out, I grab the cookie, and then like the prideful person I am, I continue back to eat my cookie in bed. And this time, I brush my left knee on the same bench that was protruding. So I get to my bed, munch my cookie in a world of pain on my knees. Friends, this is such a silly but real example of how so often we choose to live. We choose to live in the darkness because we think it's gonna be easier, that it won't cost us, that our pride won't be hurt, that we won't be found out, and all the while Satan has a heyday with us. He comes after us from every side, but you and I, for whatever reason it is, maybe you're afraid, maybe you don't wanna deal with yourself, maybe you don't want to see the light, maybe you think someone will think differently if the light is turned on, but we have a tendency, because of Satan, to live in the darkness. And here God says, live in the light. 
There is this freedom we have as followers of him to turn on the light. It's a safe place. I, it's never lost on me the fact that our universe, that the sun is the center and we orbit around it and that's what gives us life. The sun, the light, light gives us light. And it's no different with Jesus. The sun, S-O-N, has to be the center of our lives and our existence. Otherwise, we will become Pluto and we will grow cold and we will fall off. I don't even know if Pluto's a planet anymore. (laughs) Gone. (laughs) But we have this invitation to live in the light because the reality is every single one of us are sinners. You and I are all sinners. It's part of our nature. You don't have to feel ashamed about it. You don't have to feel guilty about it. That's what Satan wants you to feel. But Jesus knows that we are broken people who turn to other things. And so his invitation to us is to turn on the light, to have a safe space. Because this is the deal. Jesus has night vision goggles. He knows everything we do in the dark. Nothing is hidden to him. If any of you have ever watched kids or if you're a mother or grandmother and a a child comes to you and they lie about something, like, hey, did you take the cookie? No. Chocolate chips all over their mouth. Are you you sure you didn't eat a cookie? I didn't eat a cookie. As the parent or guardian, all you want is for that child to tell you the truth because you know you're not going to be mad about it, but you don't want your child to learn to lie and you don't want them to carry the guilt of feeling bad that they ate a cookie because at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal. God feels the same way about us. He invites us to step into the light, confess where you're broken, confess what you've done wrong, confess that you need help, that you're stuck in an addiction, that there is emotional eating in your life, that you can't turn off that channel, that you keep talking bad about others because it makes you feel good. Whatever the sin is, God invites us to live in the light. And so my question to you today is where do you need to turn on the light in your life? You see, Satan would keep us in darkness all of our lives if he could. It's his greatest trick is to make us think that we are too far beyond loving. So he puts shame over us and keeps us stuck there. And I want to tell you, in Jesus Christ, there is no shame. Light is the most healing thing that you will ever experience. The light of Jesus because it's pierced with love. It's not pierced with condemnation. It's not pierced with judgment. Living in the light will free your soul in a way that nothing else will. Um, I read this quote <clears throat> by Daniel Atkin in an Exalting Jesus in First, Second, and Third John. He said this, the essence of sin is our attempting to take the place of God. We want to be in charge. We want to establish the ground rules and lay out the playing fields. And we want to provide our own definitions of what is right and wrong and what sin is and what sin is not. Friends, it goes back to the garden. We just want to be in control. We want to define for ourselves what's right and wrong. But that goes back to the first question, who is Jesus? If Jesus is actually the Lord and Savior of our life, if what he says is true, then we are broken and sinful by nature and we need a redemptive Savior. And it's safe for us to approach this redemptive Savior. So I wonder this week, where do you need to turn on the light? Where have you been living in darkness and Satan is having a heyday with you? He's getting in and saying you're unworthy. He's punching. He's like bleeding, wounded. Satan will have his way as long as we're in the darkness, but when we bring anything to the Father, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He already knows that we're stuck in that and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Where do you need to live in the light today and this week? Uh, Carrying on, 
<clears throat> uh, we're gonna dive into 1 John 2, one through six. Uh, John says, my little children, which when you remember that he's 100 years old, like he's allowed to say that. My little children, <clears throat> I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, it's a hard word for me to say. If I said it wrong, you know what it means. Uh, for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the third point today which we covered a little bit in the last one but Jesus forgives us our sins. Jesus forgives us our sins. Every single one of us has sinned and will sin again. It's part of our nature. We can never be perfect this side of heaven. But what you do with that sin will determine the course of your life. If you try to fix it yourself, if you try to cover it up, it will backfire on you because the word promises you will reap what you sow. And so Jesus gives us this ultimate invitation. He says, come to me and I will forgive you your sins. You see, this whole passage, we're talking about loving others as ourselves. And I think for myself and in the context I see, I think one of the hardest things about being Christians is receiving the forgiveness of Christ is truly believing that what we have done, he has separated as far as the east is from the west. And so what happens when we don't receive the forgiveness of Christ, it stacks up in our heart and we hold it against ourselves and we get, we condemn ourselves, we judge ourselves, we don't love ourselves, we put rules on ourselves. And then what happens inadvertently, we don't, I don't think any of us intend to do this, but what we do is we turn around with that same heart posture and we project it to everybody else. She's not doing that. She shouldn't have hurt me like that. She shouldn't have said that. Well, I can't believe she calls herself a Christian. We suddenly become the moral police of everybody else because we ourselves have not received the love of Jesus. We have not received his forgiveness. And so we hold it in ourselves to make it right, to try to fix ourselves, and then we put that same burden on everyone else. If you are struggling in relationships this week, I wanna encourage you, and before you look outward at the people that have hurt you or you've hurt, whatever's happened, I want you to invite Jesus to show you what it means to be forgiven of your own sin. Because when God cancels that sin, his love pours in. And some of us are starving for that love. Some of us have this wall up and, oh, if you knew what I did, I'm so mad at myself. I can't let it go because it could happen again. So in fear, I'm just gonna hold all my mistakes in front of me and not let, not, I don't need the grace of God. I don't need that love. Friends, we all need it. We all need the forgiveness of Jesus. And Jesus, that's why he came to break the barrier that kept us from his love. So if you do nothing else this week, sit at the foot of the cross and ask God to help you receive his forgiveness. It's like a dam that's blocked. When we receive his forgiveness, the love flows in. We cannot love others until we receive the love of Christ. So if you're struggling with loving yourself, loving your neighbor, if you're in a hard season, I wanna encourage you without even knowing any of your situations to go to the root, to go back and ask God if there's anything you don't believe his forgiveness for. Oh God, it's too, it was too deep. 
I cheated too many times. If you knew what I thought about that person, if you knew what I said, if you knew what I did to that woman, you would never forgive me. There is nothing too big for God to forgive. He is the ultimate. And that is one of the hardest things I think it is to learn to learn in this life is how big he is. But when you realize how big and powerful he is and how small your sins are in comparison and that he already did it on the cross, he said, it's finished, it's already done. When you receive that, I can guarantee you the love and the joy of Jesus will flow through you. There's this quote by Charles Spurgeon that I like. Charles is a famous preacher and he wrote this. He said, he who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than the man who cannot perceive sin in all of his members. As the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. Sin is part of who we are. When we deny it, when we go into self-denial, self-justification, we don't do ourselves or anybody any good. The best thing we can do as followers of Jesus is to accept that we're broken, accept that we've made mistakes, and go to Jesus, step into the light and say, I need forgiveness, and to receive that love. That's what John is writing about. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot redeem ourselves, try harder, get there, but we can receive humbly the love, the grace, and the acceptance of Jesus. Do you know that Jesus has forgiven your sins? If not, I want you to sit in that this week and allow him to penetrate anything that Satan wants to tell you is unforgivable because that is a lie. Satan wants to hold us back from Jesus. It's his only job. So if there's any lie that's been spoken over you, any shame that's too hard to forgive, I'm just gonna call it out and say that is a lie. Jesus has already died and his blood has already covered you and he wants to give you the love that never ends. We cannot love others until we receive the love of Jesus. And the last section today is 1 John 2, 7 through 11. John writes, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The last point today that I believe John is making and he'll make throughout the book is you and I are called to love one another. We are called to love each other. But in thinking through just the image of the house, we cannot love others if we don't know who Jesus is, if we don't step into the light, if we don't receive his forgiveness, then what naturally boils out of our heart is this hatred, hatred towards self and hatred towards others. But this is the true mark of our faith. If we cannot love others, that means we have not received the love of Jesus. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. When you and I accept Jesus as our savior, as our Lord, we become a new creation. That's part of the gifts he gives us. And so to love one another, to love ourselves, is a new creation. It's not our old self. It's not our own human effort or thought. God literally makes us new and then deposits his perfect love in us. And he says, there is no end to my perfect love. The second you give it away, I'll refill your cup. 
So when we go around trying to love others out of our own effort or brokenness, it doesn't always work. We get tired, we get burnt out, we get hurt, we get frustrated. But when you and I receive the forgiveness of Jesus, when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, he forgives us of all of our sins, he makes us a new creation, and then we're able not in the power of our own, but out of his power, we're vessels of his love and we're able to love one another. Who do you need the love of God to help you love this week? And this is a hard thing to say because none of us want to admit this, but hate is a real tool that Satan will use to divide us from our brothers and sisters. So in the privacy of your own heart with Jesus, is there anybody that you hate? that you cannot stand, that you despise, that you would hurt physically if there was no consequences to it. <laughs> some of you laugh, some of you are like, oh, I got some people. Um, that hatred is not of God. It's, it's part of a normal humanity to feel it, but that's what God wants to come in and change in us. When he says we're a new creation, he wants to give us this unconditional love, a love that we can't earn. He wants to give us that so we can give it to people that we don't think are worthy, people that have hurt us, people that are, we think, different than us, offensive to us. That love of Christ is the true test of if we know Jesus and love him. And John, in all of his travels, he's 100 years old, uh, he would go into these towns and people would gather because he'd, he'd been alive for 100 years, he'd walked with Jesus. People wanted to hear, they wanted to know everything and so people would gather and John could basically sum up everything he learned about Jesus in one simple sentence. Love each other as Jesus has loved you. That's the basic bottom line of who John was. Out of everything he'd learned, everything he'd been through, everything he experienced, that was his witness and his testimony and his message, and we see it in every letter. And so my encouragement to you this week is what does it look like to receive the love of Jesus and give it to somebody else? Who do you need to love with the love of Christ this week? You see, when the church dries up of love, it gets a bad rap in the world. But when the church, when you and I as his people sit before Jesus, receive his forgiveness that we cannot earn or deserve, when we receive it, believe it, and start living in it, the world starts to notice. You and I all, if I were to go around and ask each one of you individually, if I were to tell you who's somebody that exemplifies Christ's love for you, we can all think of the person that loves with a love that isn't of them that isn't human, that always makes us feel warm, always makes us feel welcome, those are our examples. That's who we want to learn from and grow from, of people that give love that isn't of themselves and who love in really hard circumstances. When people criticize them, people are rude to them, they re their response is love. That's the mark of Jesus in us. And my prayer is that in the next six weeks, we will posture ourselves for that love to flow through us. So when people look at their, our lives, they don't see us or any of our brokenness, but they see Jesus working in us. What does it look like for you to be a vessel of love for God this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the example of John, Lord, somebody who walked with you and knew how hard it was to love others and yet received the fullness of the truth of your gospel, knew who you were, walked in the truth and lived in the light, Father. And so God, I just pray over every woman uh, that's listening to this, Father, that you would invite her to the light 
in a way that she knows she is completely loved and saved and that nothing can separate her from you in Jesus Christ, Father. We thank you for that grace, that extravagant love, and we, we ask, Lord, that you would show us how do you want us to love others this week. May people in our lives know that we are followers of Jesus because of the overflowing love that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen.